0: Well, let me begin by leading us in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, may you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word. May you cause us to respond in worship of your great name because your spirit has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Especially in these days of great unbelief around our world. Please use your servant to speak forth that which is true for the encouragement to the congregation. And I ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Well, last week, Pastor Taylor helped us to recall how great and awesome our God is when As we looked in Psalm 145, and we have been singing this morning the greatness of our God in worship and song, and we need these reminders. We are, as Psalm 145 says, that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, or steadfast love. But so oftentimes, you know, as we go out about our week, we are constantly distracted and discouraged by all the news events. The daily pressures and the many trials and temptations, and we forget. That's the bottom line. We forget what we learned from the last Sunday sermon. And that's not a, that's not a knock on Taylor. That's just the reality of our lives. We just read the word, you know... Maybe you begin the day and you read God's word and then it goes out out of your mind as you face the day or if you don't do this but just turn on your cell phone and look at the news and all of a sudden you're bombarded. But I think about this past seven days and there's been numerous distractions that tempt us into unbelief, wars or evacuations, rumors of war, fires health crisis, personal crisis, vaccine crisis, loved ones in crisis, marital crisis, a crisis in leadership at all levels, both nationally and internationally. Basically, a crisis is an emotionally significant event or radical change of status in a person's life. And I was just preparing for this Sunday's message, this morning's message, and I thought of Psalm 37, and I was reminded, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. We sang that song, I will wait for you. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain, refrain from anger. And forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord. I hope that's not my phone. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. You know, it seems that there's an implosion in our world that appears very unsettling. And we must steady our hearts and minds with God's truth. We sang, I will wait for you, why? Because that next song was, because the love of God is rich and pure and forevermore endure. And we need to boast ourselves and remind ourselves of these truths. This morning, I plan to preach from Jude, the book of Jude, So open your copy of God's word, and if you don't have a copy of that, there should be a Bible in front of you, and it's on page 1216. And we're going to look at Jude, verse 17 to 23. Let me read that as we begin here. Jude writes, but you must remember, beloved, in the love of god waiting for the mercy of our lord jesus christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt serve others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear hating even the garments stained by the flesh let me give you a context of in the background story for jude here you know, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus and the brother of James, who was the leader of the church, uh, Jerusalem church. We don't know where the location of this church he was writing, but Jude's letter was to fellow believers who knew the Old Testament and faced the daunting challenges within their local body. And he, Jude writes with much passion and concern for fellow believers we know that because in verse 3 he says beloved although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend that word means to, I was to agonize for the faith that was once delivered for all the for all delivered to the saints for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, uh, who, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, there was a clear and present danger of unbelief that was permeating within the church And that still remains, even today. This theme of concern for the church is not about outside threats from governing authorities. Notice this. The the concern was not outside threats from governing authorities or invading armies or economic downturns. The concern is one of implosion, enemies within. And this appears to be what I, in my study, just knows this is such a common theme. Uh, and it's shared by other apostles as well. Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 that there will be woes, savage wolves coming. He says that in Acts 20, 28. He writes that in 1 Timothy 4. And he writes that in 2 Timothy 3 of certain people coming to divide within the body. The Apostle Peter warns the same. He says in 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 3, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. The Apostle John shares the same concern. He writes in 1 John 2, verse 18, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrist's, have come. And he goes on, verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. You know, this past year, the local church, not just here, but all around, has been tested. And as I I look to our congregation, I see the importance of passing truth and priorities to the next generation. And so these during these days of uncertainty and ch- changes, there are three important priorities to keep clear, and I want to exhort this morning three important priorities to keep clear, in order to bring up one's faith in Christ, to, to build you up, to not to keep your priorities clear here. And the first is to remember God's judgment. You find there in verse 17 and 19, but you must remember. And he's making this transition because he's describing um, Old Testament examples. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devote the spirit. My encouragement to you, remember God's judgment through Jesus. Why do I say that? Because that is a repeated theme that Jude cites. And he cites through Old Testament examples. He says there in verse 5 that, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He says in verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah undergoing punishment of eternal fire. This is by Jesus. Verse 14, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they are committed in such ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Judah is reminding and saying, remember God's judgment will come. Oftentimes, it's noted is that day. Paul says the same in Romans 2, verse 16. God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4 that I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Peter warns of the same. He says in 2 Peter verse, chapter 2, verse 4, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept under the judgment. Peter tells us later in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. Not, I know I'm throwing a lot of passages at, at you, but I want you to understand there's this constant theme, a reminder. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, it's not only in the New Testament, but you find that in the Old Testament as well. I think of Solomon. Solomon, knowing that we have to give an account, he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. In verse 13, he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Beloved, you must remember. You must remember that God is judge and God will judge and that is an important truth to, to, to keep our eyes kind of fixed on Christ because we get distracted and we easily forget and we get discouraged and we're dismayed. But we need to be mindful. God will judge and we wait upon him. Why? Perhaps, he, I just said, answered that question, why, but perhaps Jude makes it more clear. Jew says there are one's First of all, who seek to divide your loyalties by casting doubts. It says there in verse 18 that they're dividing your loyalties loyalties by casting doubts, by scoffing or mocking your beliefs. There are people who do that all the time. Surely he's not going to judge you. Jesus is not. Jesus is the one who will restore you and he'll forgive you and overlook those things. You hear that all too common and we may be guilty of saying that. But we also have to find that tension between, no, but he will judge and he will see everything. Then there are those who Jude identifies ones who follow their own ungodly or sensual passions by following their natural instincts. You know, they just, they feel that way. They just want to go what they believe. They've elevated their own opinions versus what God's word declares. And that's a dangerous place to be. And that comes within the body here. Again, I'm I'm talking threats from within. And then Jude goes on and identifies in verse 19 they do not have the Spirit of God. And it's evident by their causing divisions, worldly people. Wow, that's really sobering. Because so often we are thinking about the threats from the outside. But the apostles, including, and Jude not being an apostle, But one who is very familiar with the apostles' writings says, no, it's coming from within. One commentator said, quote, instead of drawing a circle to take men in, those who divide, they they draw a circle to to shut men out. And they try to prop up an exclusive club. And that's not what we are called to do. I think of Paul's exhortation in Romans 16, verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Wow, those are sobering words. Remembering God's judgment is to humble us and to recognize God's amazing grace. You know, when we recognize that we're under God's judgment, but while we are yet sinners, he he died for us. He loved us. There's this tension and, and it's critical to understand that, that the context of God's love for us is, is in that while we're yet sinners. And we need to find that balance between, yes, he will judge, but knowing that Christ has forgiven and that's why we need to remember um, and when we forget, what we're doing is we're, we're forgetting the essential doctrines of the, of the church. That God, God's judgment, we need to remember God's judgments. He keeps, it's, 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 it's important to just keep our priorities clear. And that's why, you know, each first Sunday of the month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why? It's to remember God's great love for us. But we also find that tension that... Um, We need to make sure that we're right before God. So, remembering God's judgment, Jude's exhortation is remember God's judgment. Second, resolve to keep yourself in the love of God. You find that in verse 20 to 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves. That's an imperative. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude, again, repeats this phrase, but you, beloved. He's writing to fellow believers. He's he's imploring. he's, He's urging you on. You, beloved, remember this. Resolve to keep yourself in the love of God. Building yourselves in the faith and praying in the Holy Spirit is not Only a personal exercise, but it's a corporate activity. That's why we assemble together. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have equipping hour. That's why we have Awana. These are means to, again, keep ourselves in the love of God, to be reminded, to be built up, to be stirred. We are to build one another because these activities, you know... um, when you are with one another, it requires a step of faith because sometimes we're inclined to just stay home and be by ourselves and not see anyone. But to care for one another, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens, that's an exercise of faith to keep yourself in the love of God, to recognize you, we, we have a responsibility to one another. And so, again, Jude gives these uh, the, this imperative to keep yourself within the circle of God's love. So how do you keep yourself in the love of God? Let me give you some practical s- steps. First of all, to read God's word, to read the scriptures, read that which is true of God and his attributes. You know, we live in a day and age where we have so many great resources whether you can have access online or you have a library or develop a library, we have a library here as well. There are great resources that help us to keep our, fix, our eyes fixed on the love of God. May I recommend or commend several books. One is if you haven't read Knowing God by J.I. Packer, or The Cross of Christ by John Stott, or The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. I can go on on. Desiring God by John Piper. Um, Attributes of God by Stephen Sharnock, for those who want to go really deep. Um, but these are books that are resources that help us to understand who men who have, who have studied and help us to see how great and deep God's love. Even the oceans, I mean, that we sang that song of just, we have so much, we know so little of God's love, but when we follow men who have, who have learned, who have understood the love of God, and they've articulated quite uh, well. It's a gift to the church. And may I exhort you to be a reader. Leaders are readers, but I would say all of you as followers of Christ ought to be a reader. To to keep yourself in the love of God is to be reading good material. Read of how, how other men and women have lived in keeping the love of God within their own hearts, I'm a, big, I'm a big advocate of reading biographies, historical biographies of men and women of the faith. Come and see me if you want to know some. But here's some, some ideas. I, I just recently read a biography on Hudson Taylor. It's a third biography I've read. It, and just a man who walked with God, who sought to make Christ known in China. Pure gold, uh, the story of Eric Liddell, a gold medal winner who went and served the people in China and was killed there. Or, or actually, he, he died there. Not, he wasn't killed there. Um, to the Golden Shore, the life of Adoniram Judson, the first missionary to, to Myanmar or Burma. Uh, William Carey, J. Oswald Fraser. I, I can go on and on of different men and women who have served well. And they help. Why do I recommend these? Because they're... What you feel, what you struggle with, you're not alone. There are men and women whom God has used in in days past and to read of others who, who kept themselves under that love of God. Not only to be a reader, but to meditate. Think on that which is true. Paul exhorts us that we are to, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's not just to think about it, but to practice these things, he says in verse 9. that It's something you just need to saturate yourselves. I think of Psalm 1, just how blessed is a man who trusts in him, who who meditates day and night is like a tree what planted uh, and and flourishes. And my exhortation, again, is that idea of meditating, to think deeply, to contemplate day and night, is a way to keep yourself in the love of God. You've heard me say this before, that uh, of a quote of a missionary, of a a fellow saint uh, who survived World War II said, Look abroad. And be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. You need to keep yourself in the love of God. And understand God's great love for you. Another practical way is not only to pray and plead before God. But to sing like we sang this morning. Singing God's truth. Um, I I think of just Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, s- singing praises and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. These are some of the means that God has pr- provided for you to just again to, to just think about to keep yourself in that love of God. There's a certain resoluteness. There's a that when I say resolve, that means you, you're making a determination. You're making a choice to say, I am. I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to keep myself in the love of God. Because we are overwhelmed. With the, with the media access that we have, it's so easy to get distracted. Can I, is, that, is that true? Amen? I mean, we're constantly, you walk out the door and many of you, if you're not doing that right now, you're looking at your phone and you're, you're distracted by events. Um, and And I just want to exhort you that the means to read, to meditate, to sing, to pray, these are ways to help you to keep yourself in the love of God. Resolve to keep yourself that way. The third thing Jude notes here is to rescue, rescue fellow sinners. He says there in verse 22 to 23, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. You know, Jude provides three ways to rescue fellow sinners here. He says, be compassionate there and have mercy on those who doubt. There in verse 22, be compassionate. Why? Because you've received mercy. And two, because they've been influenced by other false teachers who have, been brought, who have brought forth confusion in their lives. So have mercy on those who doubt. That means that they're, they're not wrestling with the faith. How many of you have those moments of doubt? I mean, we, we all do at one point. To say you, you don't doubt um, is saying like you don't sin. And go, no, that's, uh, that's not true. Historically, there are many who have doubted. And I think of Paul's words in Galatians 1. Um, it's one, a, a, a keeper of a verse in terms of how easy it is to be led astray and to doubt. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 6 that, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you, in the grace of Christ, in our turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, let him be damned. And we have said this. Before, So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be a curse. Those are strong warnings, but it's easy to be led astray. There are many doubters in the faith, and, and they, they've been exploited by other worldviews of conflicting beliefs. And I'm, I'm particularly burdened for the younger generation as there are continuous waves of false beliefs, vying for your attention in order to be driven away from the faith. And, and many of you are in this room. That is why Jude says earlier in verse 3, I found it necessary appealing to you to contend, to agonize for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. There is a certain urgency that Jude is bringing forth, and I want to do again, exhort the same way that we need to be compassionate um, in rescuing fellow sinners. But it's also important to discern whether the unbelieving friend or family member struggles to believe the gospel versus one who is a mocker, who's divisive. Do you know, can you discern the difference between someone who's doubting versus someone who's a mocker, who's, who says, who just makes fun of you. You may have family members like that. You may have people you know who, who look at you and go, what are you doing here going to church on Sunday morning? Or you don't really believe this Bible. You know, a mocker is one who knows the truth. And get this, a mocker is one who knows the truth, having been raised or around the Christian faith. Perhaps he or she grew up in a Christian home or maybe even present in this room. You know, as I point to Jude there, Jude says there in verse 18 that in the last time there will be scoffers or mockers following their own ungodly passions. It's one thing to save those who are doubting and appealing to them. A mocker, you just hand them over to Satan because they have, they have, they know. It's not a case of that they didn't know. They choose to say I have nothing to do with it. You pray for them for sure, but that leads to the next point that Jude is seeking to make here: is not only being compassionate, have mercy on those who doubt, but he says, be confrontational. He says there in verse twenty-three, this first part: save others by snatching them out of the fire. You know what Jude is not saying is that a person does the actual saving of a soul. Only the Lord is able to convert, but you're the means. You get this? You're the means, you may be the actual means to save someone out of the fire. And that means to confront them. To confront someone with the gospel is actually attempting the work of saving the person from eternal fires of judgment. And that is what we must do at some point with those close to us. We must confront, we must speak of God's words. We must urge, beg, confront, plead, convince. This is the person whom God has placed for such a time as this. He has placed you. You know the people around you. Maybe they're even in this room. And you plead with them. You urge. You pray. But you must confront. You must confront. One pastor said, quote, If it is possible for your closest contacts to be neutral about Christ, then there is something wrong with your Christianity. Close quote. Do the people closest to you know? Have they been confronted about the urgency of the gospel? Are you that means that God to save them out of the fires? One of my missionary heroes, Jim Elliott, once wrote, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those eye contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork. Make men, make me a fork that men must turn one way or another in facing Christ in me. I pray that God will place you to be that fork on the road that people will either follow Christ or turn away. Don't be the one just a signpost and say, no, nope, go along your happy way and never confront them. We must have a sense of urgency. Hell is very real. If we don't believe in hell, you won't be courageous. That's the reality. But Paul reminds us that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We must have that sense of urgency because we don't know when we will face our maker. Evangelism is the one thing that we can do now. You've heard me say this before. Evangelism is the one thing we can do now. Every other spiritual activity, whether it's prayer, worship, fellowship, we can do better in heaven. But evangelism, that means being courageous to confront people with Christ. This is our only time and opportunity. Make use of it. Don't neglect. Don't When you sense that urging that I need to confront, do it. I think of, you know, the Old Testament example of of Lot. It's found in Genesis 19. You know the story. But let me remind you, in, in Genesis 19, it says, we're about to, it says, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. He's just kidding. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. You know, the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out of the city and set him outside the city. They literally snatched him. And that's the idea. When you are saving, you are snatching them out. Literally from the fires. That sense of urgency is needed since we do not know, once again, we don't know when that person will face eternal fire. So be compassionate, be confrontational. Third, Jude notes there, be careful. Show mercy with fear, hating the garment stained by the flesh. Jude uses this word, show mercy, but this time he's noting that there's a third category of people. You see, the first category was they were doubters, and that's where you show compassion. The second were the ones of danger of being destroyed. And that's, or you need to be confrontational. But the third category is making sure that you you don't get adversely affected by their sin. And that's why I say be careful. Don't ever think that you're above the temptation or sin when you confront someone of their sin. You are just as capable. If it wasn't for the grace of God in your life, you would do the same thing. I think of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, just that... No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. It, we all face temptations. Don't ever think when you are confronting someone, when you are, you need to understand you could fall in the same. And that's why you need to guard your heart. Oftentimes in one's attempt to help a sinner, it's easy to fall prey to the belief that, that you, you could not fall. But I'm reminded of a pastor who understood men's hearts, this guy named John Owen that's often quoted. I Taylor quoted a few times last week. John Owen puts it rightly. He says, quote, If we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. Let this one aspect of our daily intercession be, God, preserve my soul and keep my heart in all its ways so that I will not be entangled. When this is true in our lives, a passing temptation will not overcome us. We will remain free while others lie in bondage. What what John Owen is saying is that you need to make sure your heart is right because it's easy to fall into the same temptation. And the idea that Jude is trying to make here is that you don't want to be contaminated. He uses a word that's kind of uh, graphic. He says, you're dealing with someone's dirty underwear, Literally. Uh, and, you know, I know as parents or young parents or grandparents, see, I don't want to deal with poopy diapers lest I get that. And that's what, that's what Jude is trying to convey here. You want to be careful uh, lest you get poop on you. <laughs> okay, I said that. So remember God's judgment. Resolve to keep yourself in the love of God. Rescue fellow sinners Why do I say all this? Let me close with an illustration. Many of you heard the name of Charles Spurgeon. He was a famous pastor in London uh, in the 1800s. And his books were very popular, um, and they still are. They're read even today. But while serving in England, he spoke against the evils of slavery in America. And uh, there was the people... The churches and many people in America were not happy with his writings. And there were many book burnings of Spurgeon because he was writing against slavery. And this caught the eye of one slave named Thomas Johnson. A few years later, through the hearing of the gospel from a black evangelist and the testimony of a fellow slave, Thomas heard the gospel and became a follower of Christ while still a slave. When the Civil War ended, Thomas Johnson was no longer a slave of 28 years, but a free man. He became a minister of the gospel and desired to be a missionary to Africa. Through God's kindness a fellow saints, Thomas and his wife Henrietta were sent to England to be trained at Spurgeon's Pastors College. And one of the main questions for Thomas was, what motivated him to pursue ministry? He says... Well, I know the evils of slavery, but the slavery to sin was a far greater evil because of its eternal consequences. Thomas said, when you're tied up, when you're in chains, you can only see what's right in front of you. You can only see what other people makes you see. But when you're free, you see much more. So I want every person on this earth to be free so that they can see the things differently. Because when you're freed by God, you see everything differently. Thomas goes on and later writes, he says, quote, For over 15 years, the one desire and prayer of my soul has been that in some way I might be instrumental in helping to carry the word of God to Africa. That friendship between Spurgeon and Thomas Johnson was very meaningful because it led to Spurgeon sponsoring Thomas and rallying people to support him, and he became the first African-American to be a missionary to Africa. I share this illustration because the vision of training, training men is critical in these chaotic times. We need to keep our priorities clear. And that is why the elders of Foothill Bible Church, along with Summit Bible and Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church are sending 27 men to be trained in our inaugural training center that starts tomorrow night. I'm going to ask these men to come up right now. We have three other guys, uh, James Beatty, Nico Pokakis, and Nathan Bugby, who are entering their second year of training down here at, down at Faith Bible Church, Marietta. And I'm going to ask them to come, uh, these men to come forward as well. And along with uh, Josh Powell, who's already gone through the training. Uh, I myself have gone through the training. But there's a sense of urgency. All these men stand before you. And this is just from Foothill Bible. We don't have Summit or Cornerstone here uh, represented. But these men stand before you because we need to train men to discern the onslaught of unbeliefs. We need to equip future leaders to handle the word of God. And we need to identify the spiritual gifts whom God has prepared beforehand. That these men should should walk in them. Pray for these men. They have voluntarily signed up. And we recognize that these men, all these men, they will be tested. They will be tested in ways that are known to us by our sovereign God to test them of not only their knowledge and handling of the word of God, but they'll be tested in other ways because Satan does not want this to happen. Congregation, I ask you to pray for them, not only pray for them, but I exhort all of you to keep your priorities clear. I, I call it KPC. Keep our priorities clear. And I say this because I was thinking of a quote from Spurgeon who once said, "'Let us rose ourselves to the sternest fidelity, "'laboring to win souls, "'as much as it all depended wholly upon ourselves, "'while we fall back in faith upon the glorious fact "'that everything rests with eternal God.'" In other words, we are working as hard as we can, as if it depends on, on us, but we recognize it's all upon our gracious God to do that enabling and so i close with a benediction it's really found in the last two verses and andy already had read it but i i read it again as a closing so join with me as i pray father may you help these men and help us as a congregation to be ones who are focused to keep our priorities clear in this uncertain time and we just thank you for your closing words in jude Now to Him who is able to keep us, keep each one of us from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen.